All right. Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Special episode today, um, Laura Haldane is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Sci Leads. She's also a board member at SAMPS, and we're going to tell you what that is if you don't know already. Laura, welcome to Life Science Hi. Marketing Radio. Thanks for having us. And Paul Avery is the CEO of Biostrata, a life science marketing and communications agency, also the host of the Artificially Intelligent Marketing Podcast. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having us, Chris. Paul's been on this podcast. You're one of my early, early guests, probably six or seven years ago. That's right. Laura, tell us what SAMPS is, and there's an event coming up in Glasgow pretty soon, so we'll talk about that as well. But SAMPS. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. So you'll be very familiar with SAMPS. It used to be called ACPLS, for those that were familiar with it in the past. That was maybe about four years ago. It got rebranded to be SAMPS. But it has actually been going for more than 10 years. We celebrated our 10th year last year. And it's basically a, a gathering of sales and marketing professionals that sell into science. When we started, it was those selling into life sciences. And then we realized that the people selling into applied research had the exact same problems that we had here in the life sciences. So we've expanded it now for anyone that's selling into scientists. And it may be that they sell into academia or, you know, like CROs, anyone that's working with researchers, then they are who, who we work with. And we help them in like networking, progressing their career. We have very senior people within the organizations that are there to mentor people and really just help them along and be there for advice. And we run series of webinars and we run events as well to sort of help people. So. You know, if your friends and family aren't that interested in whether HubSpot is better than Salesforce or if you should use Pardot or not, if no, if they're sort of glazing over when you start to talk about GDPR, then you come to us because we're delighted to chat about GDPR and all of the, the different implications of that. Mostly we'll be having a drink when we do it at the events for sure, but um, that that's what we're about. It's really a group of professionals. We're all, you know, having the same problems but also having the same successes. So being able to share those and just work with each other. So that's why, why it was created. Yeah. So I'll just say, so I've been a member of SAMP since probably 2014. I was the marketing director for a while. Um, the, the secret sauce is that you get to this meeting and you will be stunned at how open people are about sharing their marketing and sales knowledge, which you wouldn't otherwise do in what is a pretty, competitive and generally secretive industry, but no one's given away their proprietary information, but we're all trying to elevate marketing in the life sciences and in all the sciences now. So it, it's, and that newcomers to the event always remark on that at the end of the meeting, they always say, I can't believe how generous people were with their expertise. Right. And how, yeah, open everyone is. And we, we always have as well. At, so the events originally were only US-based. We've now expanded that to be Europe. So this will be our second European event that we're chatting about today in Glasgow. But at each event, we do have also an Ask the Scientist, Ask the Customer Anything panel. And for me, it just, this is the most exciting bit for me because it's so unique to us where we have, you know, a PI and a postdoc and, you know, maybe a purchaser and one of the like CROs. And then we, we ask them anything, you know, do you want to be emailed? How often do you want to be emailed? If you don't reply, do you want to get a phone call? Or do you care if your app is local? Or do you want to hear about 
how do you want references? You know, just real information that you could really bat around a board t- table and sort of work out or guess, or you could just ask them. And it's just having that sort of specificity, just knowing that it's all about our industry is what's really helpful as well. So that's why we we actually started this in, in Europe in 2019, which feels like a long time ago. And that was meant to be the start of our European events. And then of course, COVID hit and we'll not go there, but we're now back and ready and Glasgow is, is the next event then. So it's happening on the 13th of June in, in Glasgow. There will also be an American event as well. So that'll be in the 6th of December in Boston. And we can post that, I suppose, Chris, whenever you, you post this, more details on those. But um, yeah, the two events are coming up this year and we're really, really delighted to be back. We had brilliant webinars in the meantime, but we're delighted to be back in person. 13th of June in Glasgow, but don't miss networking drinks on the 12th, right? Of course. So we do tend to sort of coincide this with a big scientific event where people are maybe there anyway because they have a booth where they're exhibiting. So there is a large event that's ending on the 12th. So we know people will be hanging around that night. So, of course, we'll take advantage of that and um, have some networking and, and drinks. There's actually a bowling alley there as well. If anyone's interested. <laughs> All right. That sounds like fun. So, um, Paul, give us a little, there's a lot of things going on in AI, right? Chat GBT, mid journey. There's probably someone sent me a list the other day of 10 tools said, you probably know these. I never heard of any one of them, but <laughs> give us a little taste of the kind of things that are going to be discussed at the meeting around AI and how marketers and salespeople can use them. I think it's great that we're talking about this now, Chris, because when Laura and I first started talking about the event, trying to project out a couple of months ahead and figuring out what would be the most important topics was honestly really hard because at that point there was a massive new development in the world of AI that would be relevant to marketers happening every week. Um, I think at this point we're close enough to things now to really be able to say we, we probably need to cover cover sort of a couple of key things. The first thing is, what is AI as it's related to marketers, right? Because some people are going to have experience playing with tools like ChatGPT and MidJourney already, and some people, some folks will be like, what are they? So we, we need to you know, cover that and just make sure that everybody's on the same footing. From there, we need to really dig into what can you do with them, right? Because I think there's some applications which are becoming better known at this point, like ChatGPT can write something for you if you give it a good brief like can you write me a blog post or can you write me an email but they're expanding quickly into editing pieces summarizing transcripts of videos using auto transcription as part of longer workflows using tools like auto gbt there's been an explosion in what image editing tools can do so even just a few months ago you use those tools to try and generate images based on a prompt and you'd get some good images, but you'd have some crazy stuff like people's hands always seem to have 10 fingers, eight fingers, I don't know why, but that's been fixed. So now we're on the cusp of can designers and even non-designers, so sort of um, marketers, use these tools to generate high quality images, and we're nearly there. Um, before we got on air, we were talking about Descript, um, Chris, which is a tool I also love, just to speed up and make it much easier to do the ed- uh, editing process, even if you're not 
um, a trained video editor. So I think we'll be looking and diving into all those different applications to give people a solid grounding that they can take away back after the meeting, but also hopefully plant some seeds of really cool stuff that maybe no one else has done yet because I think there's a real opportunity for every single person to look at their workflow, look at the things they're trying to do in their marketing team and creatively apply these different tools in those spaces. And then I think the final thing that we'll touch upon is what you need to be wary of because I think there's a lot of hype at the moment. These tools are really cool, they're really powerful, but there's a lot of hype in, in a number of areas and some of the tools are prone to what's become called hallucination. So making things up with absolute confidence as if they're true and they turn out to be completely false. And there was a recent news story about a, a lawyer that used ChatGPT to summarize um, arguments in a case um, based on information that in effect ChatGPT made up and wasn't even true. And that was a real project with a real client Yikes, right? So we and a real judge, I should add, that right. wasn't very happy about the whole thing. Indeed. I mean, if there's ever going to be a better example of how you need to watch these tools carefully because they'll make stuff up, that's a great one. But you could damage your brand just as easily, right? We work in a highly technical industry where thought leadership is based around trustworthiness of your technical acumen. If you lean into and trust ChatGPT to report on certain developments in, I don't know, cell culture, cell and gene therapy, microscopy, and it gets it wrong, that's going to be very damaging for your, your brand. So there's a number of other issues like that that marketers need to be aware of if they're going to use these tools. And we're going to expand on that at the event. I'm going to skip over the social media part for a moment and talk about, so mid-journey, when I'm looking for text in ChatGPT, you know, I can verify, um, you know, it can write for me, and it's stunning how quickly it comes up with answers. That came up on an episode a couple weeks ago. Um, but um, my wife's an artist. I know lots of artists. And when we're talking about mid-journey, what it, we don't know where those things came from, right? And and this is just a continual. This is going to be a continual debate about. Um, and you can protect your images from being used, pr presumably. But what are your thoughts on that? I just have to ask. Well, there's so much complexity in this issue. Um, I think one of the first things to notice is we're still trying to figure out who owns the images that you produce, right? So if you're a brand and you produce an image using Dream Studio or Midjourney or Dolly. In essence, the current rulings would appear to suggest that AI cannot own copyright, only humans can. And so if that tool has produced the image, even though you prompted it, that image is not copyrighted and anybody can use it. So raw outputs from those tools as a brand, your competitors can come steal them and use them all over their marketing. And you probably wouldn't have a leg to stand on as it stands, but this is evolving very quickly. I think a lot of brands are take, um, especially the bigger brands are taking a stand in terms of which tools they'll use based on how they've been trained. Um, so for example, Adobe Firefly, which is Adobe's answer to mid-journey image generation tool is trained on Adobe's huge set of images in their stock repository, which Adobe owns the copyright to. So in theory, if you had sensitivities around that as a company, you could you could use Adobe's tool. And actually, they launched their beta for their generative AI tool in Photoshop last week or the week before. And it's pretty cool. 
And I think what's really exciting about it is it's contextually aware. So one of the challenges with Midjourney is you say, uh, show me a picture of um, a massive um, old 1700 ship sailing on the sea as the sun shines down. And you're going to get Midjourney's interpretation of that. And it's very hard to tweak it if you're like, yeah, but actually I wanted the sun on the left. Surprisingly difficult to then get that type of change. Whereas in Photoshop's tools, because of the way that they're built, you can select areas of the image and then generate it with a text prompt. So say you had your ship. First of all, you can start with a blank canvas, show me the sea. Then you get the sea. Then you want to put a ship in, contextually aware. Then you can say, put the sun in. But you're selecting with the lasso tool every time where you want the thing to go. I think that's going to be way more powerful in terms, of, um, yeah, in terms of what designers can actually do. I mean, I spent do. my childhood learning Photoshop. So now, like, you know, Canva and all these AI tools have come out. And I'm like, oh, am I, did I waste those years? But actually, now that I realize it's that you haven't, because that is just combining the two. And it's going to make it even more powerful. Because people have been saying their issue is that when they create something with the AI, you know, they can't edit it. So if you were to try and create a logo, for example, it's great for inspiration, but you can't then, you know, make it a vector image and use it as your logo. You can't say, you know, I want that wee bit to be blue. Absolutely. But what you're and saying, you can. So I think the power's coming. I, I don't want to give the impression that it's really super easy to tweak bits, just any single bit you want. The other thing is these tools still really suck at text. So if mm. you ask it for a logo, you ask it to like reimagine the Adidas logo and it will write Adidas with like three D's and a Z at the end, and it will just completely misunderstand. So you'll have to okay. you'll have to go in and edit that out. I think the other thing that's really important to stress is being able to use an AI tool like Midjourney doesn't give you a design eye. It doesn't make you a designer or a creative director with all those years of experience to know what good looks like. So that Photoshop training, Laura, I don't think that's going to be wasted because you would have learned a lot of design principles through that process that you can then apply to the prompts that you use and the images that you build in other tools. And and I think Midjourney, for example, creates these wonderful cinematic looking images, but we don't always need that, right? Sometimes that's not appropriate for the medium. So I think that's, again, where designers can leverage these tools to be faster, to brainstorm in a more creative, dynamic way, but ultimately bring their expertise to getting awesome finished pro uh, products. One of the guys yeah. that are speaking as well, sorry, Chris, and they mentioned that they're a design house and they are looking at, you know, many brands within the life sciences and they were adding the website and they found that three of their clients were using the exact same stock image of person lab woman in laboratory with microscope the exact same image so they were able to go in use Midjourney to basically design something that was more in with each of their brands so I wouldn't worry so much about artists or, or marketing people that they're going to be usurped but certainly if I were a stock image company I would maybe be a somewhat concerned <laughs> yeah that was always a problem I uh, <clears throat> I was interested to hear what Paul said about, you know, uh, mid-journey not being able to move the sun. I found it interesting. So David Nathan, who I think is going to the event, right? So he, he was he on. He helped design the website for the event, actually. I don't oh, think nice. he'll be at this event, but he'll be at the Boston event. Okay. So he was on the podcast, and he, we were talking about the book he designed, the children's book in the carpool lane, and had it illustrated, a monster for the children's book, but you couldn't 
then take that monster and say, show the monster doing something else because the AI doesn't know what in the image is the monster yet. <laughs> it sounds like contextual awareness. Is that a thing that would be able to say, all right, now show me that same thing from the side or? That's a really good question. So I, I do think that's coming. So there's a tool called Dragan, which is just um, a research paper at this point that is like Photoshop, but like you can drag bits of the image and then it contextually updates. So an example would be they had a picture of a lion and they drag down from the mouth and they open the mouth and it doesn't just destroy the image. The mouth opens and it looks appropriate. They could turn the lion's head and that worked out okay as well. They resized bits of a car, so they made like the wheels bigger and then the wheel arches all adapted around it so that it would look, oh, you know, as it should. And I think as those types of tools start to make it into, um, say, Photoshop's new generative AI beta, that will be really interesting. At the moment, in Photoshop, you could, you could take that image from mid-journey with your monster and you could probably use the context-aware selection tool to take the monster out and give it a new background. But, and you could ch probably change a few things about the monster, like give it a hat and stuff like that. But I don't think you could easily change its body position or its facial expression or anything like that too easily. I'd have to play a bit more to test that. But yeah, we're not quite there, but I do think we're getting there, Chris. Yeah. All right. So let's go back. Social media is, is one of the items on the agenda and how people are using possibly AI for, and I'm really interested in this, for social media. So there's going to be two halves to the social media talk because you have your personal brand. And I mean, you are a great example of this where actually you use your personal LinkedIn more so than you use the company LinkedIn. And then Marina is going to talk about the company LinkedIn and, you know, people in our industry that are doing really, really well. Biostrad is probably actually a great example of this, of a company level that is using social media and their brand really well. So I'm more on the, I can speak more to the personal one. So I do have 15,000 followers on LinkedIn and I am not a social media person. Um, my Photoshop, Paul, that I referred to before is mostly just tweaking images of my dog who does have 10,000 followers on uh, Instagram. But <laughs> I, I generally am not an influencer. I don't really, it's not comfortable for me in these sort of scenarios. But at the same time, if you want to, if you want to build your brand, you can just do it methodically. So that's really what we're going to talk about. You know, you don't need to be this loud personality that where it comes naturally maybe like it does with you Chris um it you can just build it and for me from a sales point of view and a marketing point of view it's been a fantastic tool for me to get in front of the right people and um it's really looking at the the statistics so you know our conversion is seven times higher if we want to get a demo if we reach out on LinkedIn than if we reach out an email you know I know that I have a sort of 62 percent chance of being accepted by someone my new guys that come into the company have a 25% chance. So if they want to add someone in the company, they need to add four people and someone will accept. Um, you know, without giving all the stuff away, just nobody is in mails ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's what we'll go into because it, it has become a really big thing, this sort of idea of selling through social media and doing your, your work through social media. And the AI plays in perfectly for this because, you know, generating the content for that and then there, eight, there are automation tools. I mean, don't get me started on them right now, but um, we'll, we'll go into them and sort of how the AI could technically do your job for you in theory. Maybe we'll get there. Anything else? What am I missing? 
I guess the only what? thing I would say is um, staying on top of the stuff is hard. Um, having sounding boards to bounce ideas off and learn from each other is really important. That's not easy to do because there aren't many places that you can actually go and talk about this stuff, which are what this is the reason I think the event in Glasgow in June is so important. I, I, I personally feel it should be like borderline mandatory for life science marketers, certainly in the UK, because I just think it gives you such an acceleration point to be able to dive into this and get ahead. And I think as marketers and as people, we need to know how we can augment ourselves with this stuff. Um, especially in an economic downturn um, because it's coming and it's better to be informed and empowered than it is to be sort of a laggard or afraid. And, and we're going to cover all of that um, in Glasgow and give people the tools they need to be their most effective selves. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I'm thinking back to when I started this podcast and life science marketers were saying that they didn't really see a use for social media. And Laura just gave us an example why. And given the re the rate at which AI is coming, like if you take that same stance, same stance now, you're going to be left way behind. You know, whether you choose to use it or not, you better know what's going on. That's where there are some things that happen. And I think, you know, my husband will probably dabble in it because he's into that sort of thing. Or maybe our developers and Mark will dabble in it. And it's interesting and that's fine. But it's sort of like, no offense, Paul for like the nerds that are like into that sort of stuff and they can do that and that's all great but it's not for me just a normal sales marketing professional but actually while it was you know the the poly of reason david nathan that played with this maybe six months ago it's now mainstream or it certainly will be in the next few months like if the likes of me who wouldn't probably naturally sort of embrace this sort of thing if I don't, I will start to then lag behind. So I really need the opportunity to learn from, I just called him a nerd and now I really want him to teach me at all. But, um, you know, I need, that's that's what this is about, is really learning from that and making sure that we're all sort of brought on the same page. Nice. Well, I want to thank you both for joining to me, joining me today. This was super fun. The website is samps.org, S-A-M. P-S.org. The event is Glasgow, Scotland, June 12th and 13th. If you're an early morning jogger, sunrise is at 432, and you can stay up and watch the sunset at 1002 that night, which to me would just be fascinating. So thank you both. Perfect. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us, Chris. My pleasure.